It's Monday the 23rd of November 2020. My name's Alex Elliott, and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened, and why we should care. In an English-language media tour de force this week, um, I'm joined online by Andy Fontaine from Reykjavik Grapevine and by Jelena Cirich from Iceland Review. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Right. Um, this weekend brought news that Landspitali National Hospital, National University Hospital, um, is facing a 4.3 billion krona cost-saving demand next year. At the same time, Iceland's COVID-19 active infection rate is now the lowest in Europe, and relaxed rules are expected to be announced at the end of this week in time for implementation next Wednesday. Border testing rules are remaining unchanged until the start of February, uh, though the fees are being scrapped. The head of the Tourism Industry Association says changes cannot wait a day longer than the 1st of February, at least in her opinion. In other news, three of the seven Supreme Court judges will now be women following nominations by the Justice Minister in what she calls an important step towards equality. Iceland Air is feeling good about the future thanks to developments of vaccines around the world and the likely return of its Boeing 737 MAX jets to service. Uh, But will the public want to fly on them? That's the question. And interest rates uh, stand at a historic low of 0.75%. But one bank has nevertheless put its mortgage mortgage interest rates up. <laughs> so where would you like to begin? I, you know, I guess the, the the hospital, I suppose. It's the biggest story. I suppose it was yeah. the big, certainly of the weekend. Yeah, it was. Um, understandably, quite a lot of people are a bit surprised by that. Yeah, as, as they would have reason to be. We've experienced most of this year a great deal of praise for healthcare workers and how important they are. Um, we're still in the midst of a pandemic, pandemic globally speaking, regardless of the team. And then this news is revealed. Um, it's, it's, if people are angry by this, I think, frankly, they're justified. Yeah. Um, what's the justification behind it? Have we? Have we heard from, from, you know, why they're making these cuts? Because it does seem government spending generally is increasing. So why does that part of it have to go down? That's yeah. a very good question. I'm not sure that that has really come forth at this point. And I mean, for many years, we've been t- discussing how the healthcare system uh, needs funding, or at least there have been, there have been MPs arguing that uh, funding to the hospital and healthcare in general should be prioritized. So... Uh, it seems a little bit, yeah, just uh, out of touch with the current situation to have these demands on the national hospital. Yes, it does. I mean, they're talking already that it's it will affect patient services, but we don't know how yet. Mm. And this is purely speculative on my part, but uh, <clears throat> Prime Minister Kathy Nyagabstolte has speaking recently about the importance of a new hospital, which I think has been in the discussion for like you know, 20 years now. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if what they have in the works is to allocate more of the uh, hospital money towards building at that new hospital, but I don't think they have the budget for fiscal year 2021 uh, drafted yet. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. But again, that's speculation. Yeah. 
where is this coming from? Is it from the health minister herself or is it a government-wide decision? Do we know that? Or even from the finance minister? Yeah, that I don't know. I imagine the finance ministry has something to do with it as they tend to hold the purse strings, the budget in general. Yeah. Right. We know that there have been a lot of uh, additional budget bills this year, just in terms of response to the pandemic, and that the budget for next year is still in the works in terms of the details. So uh, perhaps it's something that's just coming out of that work at the moment. Yeah. But healthcare is a major component of the national budget, and that budget was presented to Parliament a month ago now. Why are we hearing about this now, this weekend? It's, it, that seems a bit strange, doesn't it? Dead. Yeah, it does. But it's, it seems to be, I don't know. Again, this is me speculating, but it seems big news like this does tend to get dropped over the weekend um, for perhaps cynical reasons. Um, all I know is it was a few years back when we had the... Uh, the CEO of Decode, Kauri, um, initiate that petition, calling for like a set percentage of the national budget to go to uh, healthcare. And it received a tremendous amount of support We're in the middle of a pandemic, as as you pointed out. And I don't, I, I've, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Like, I'm just shaking my head thinking about this because there's parliamentary elections coming up next I, I really uh, I mean, I think news about the healthcare system in Iceland, I, I think readers are maybe just in general a little bit jaded to read it because it sort of is kind of the same thing that comes forward every few months. Uh, there's definitely, it's been, definitely been in the news earlier this year that the hospital uh, has a deficit. And I think one aspect of that, at least according to reporting is of course that uh, salary costs have gone up just as they have in all industries in Iceland but uh, considering it is the healthcare system and that we are in a pandemic one would think that uh, this it would be a priority to address this and, and find a solution that works yeah I agree that <laughs> would seem to be priority number one in the midst of a pandemic but yeah, yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't serve to, to bolster uh, the popularity rating of the government either. And as you pointed out, Andy, there's an election coming up next year. It's, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just very strange news, I think, uh, at a time when government spending is going up and they're investing so much more in, in public services overall to try and kickstart the economy. I mean, healthcare, although it's public service, it is part of the economy. Um, and they've been doing great work through the pandemic. So it seems like a bit of a, a, a shot in the foot almost. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what uh, further ex explanations of this move are going to be. Yeah. Well, there is a lot of speculation at the moment, so maybe we should move on to something else. Um, anything else catch your eye? We don't remember what I said at the beginning of the show. <laughs> Um, uh, well, we've got Iceland Air, we've got uh, just the incidence rate dropping, two related stories, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I mean, 
we've been talking directly about the pandemic basically every week so why should this one be any different um, it is seems positive news doesn't it uh, the lowest rate in europe now things are still going in the right direction um it could turn around at any moment of course but um yeah the question just then just in time just in time for the holidays exactly. <laughs> which seems to suggest that it's working because they, they've been talking about the holidays from the beginning haven't they like we should do these really hard measures now so that things will be a bit better by the time the holidays come that's right but um one thing that i i think we all appreciate about the chief epidemiologist thorobud is that he never sugarcoats things and he has uh, also said that of course this christmas and this holiday season is going to be different from last year's so we can always expect that we can always expect some level of restrictions for the time being mm. um, but yeah hopefully if that incidence rate keeps dropping then uh, we can have grandma over for dinner i guess those of us who have a grandma in iceland <laughs> <laughs> that was a specific example that he used wasn't it it's uh... yeah th that's what a reporter specifically asked him about can we have grandma over for dinner or do we have to skype her in <laughs> <laughs> Oh, poor old grandma having to make her own dinner. Yeah. Um, uh, Learn how no. to use Skype. <laughs> Have the internet, yeah. <laughs> um, there's not going to be any major Christmas concerts this year, probably. Um, the Yola Lathbor looking a little doubtful. But the rest of it, you know, seems to be going in the right direction, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And... Fortunately, Christmas in Iceland is traditionally just like a, a nuclear family type of event, like actual Christmas time. Anyways. So it's not like huge groups of like people, the extended family are getting together <clears throat> on that time. What really worries me the most is New Year's Eve, mm. to be honest. Mm. That's when we got like, it seems like a, also quite the tradition that people are going to assemble en masse downtown or whatever municipality they're living in. And yeah, and people too tend to get a little bit, not as careful when they've had a few, you know? Yeah. And so mm -hmm. that, that is, that is concerning for me. I think that if, if we can make it through New Year's Eve <laughs> without like a huge spike in infection rates, um, I think that would be the most promising news of all because we can produce vaccines, we can order lockdown measures, but in the end, we're really relying on one another to just think community-minded in order to get through this. That's the key in, in all of this. It has been since the very beginning. And we've had some lapses along the way. Mm. So. I think that this uh, Christmas and New Year's is going to be a real test of how community-minded we can be. Yeah, I, one thing that came forward last week in one of the COVID briefings was authorities were saying they were considering uh, releasing guidelines for private parties during the holiday season. Uh, and there hasn't really been more word of that. I'm not sure if that's something that they're going to actually do. It'd be interesting to see what the guidelines would be. Uh, but I think also as Andy says, it's absolutely a question of just the community having solidarity 
and recognizing that we're all in this together and all of our actions affect each other. So I'm not sure that specific gu guidelines for parties would necessarily be helpful. No, I mean, other than when the clock strikes midnight on New Year's, don't hug and kiss all the strangers around you, mm -hmm. um, which is so often the case. Yep. Um, if the rate continues to go down to a level that it was this summer, which was basically nothing, um, it seems likely that the the main way it would go up again is through being imported from overseas. And then that border testing situation comes strongly into play. Uh, we already know that the current system staying as it is until the start of February. Um, but there's a lot riding on what happens after that, isn't there? Absolutely. So. I think, yeah, in, in kind of both directions, I suppose. I mean, you've got people from the business community and, and tourism industry arguing that we need to have more relaxed restrictions on the borders if we want to see those industries flourish again. On the other hand, uh, you've got experts saying that if we relax restrictions at the borders, then we're more likely to have another wave. So of course, there's, there's a lot riding on it. Um, I think when we discuss restrictions, one thing that I think is important to keep in mind is just on a global scale to have the perspective to, to recognize that Iceland's restrictions have been more relaxed than other countries pretty much throughout the entire pandemic. And that goes for border restrictions as well uh, in a certain sense, because many other countries just have a two week quarantine uh, upon arrival. Mm. And I think that's much more restrictive to travelers than a five day quarantine with two tests. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So and, and to be honest, like the entire discussion around border testing always makes me a bit nervous. <clears throat> because it doesn't take long for the conversation to stray into this, I don't know, kind of like an acceptable form of xenophobia that, of course, foreigners would be bringing disease to our country or whatever. I mean, people aren't flat out saying this, but the, the, the conversation kind of dances around that point when, like, you know, there's also Icelanders or people who have Icelandic residency anyway who are also going back and forth across the borders. And it's doesn't hinge entirely upon tourism. As always, again, it's a matter of like how community-minded we are in maintaining our domestic restrictions. I, mean, I understand the importance of having the, uh, the border guidelines in place, and as Elena helpfully pointed out, uh, they are more relaxed than they are in many, many other countries in the world. I think that the, the key to this is, again, community-mindedness. I don't know, just border talk always makes me really nervous. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you can't pin it as a, as a foreign problem when it was so bad here just a month ago. Um, you know, we've gone from the highest rate in Europe to the lowest through luck, partly, uh, as well as hard work. So, yeah, it's, it's not a, a foreigner's problem at all, and I don't... Certainly. So, like, we did relax restrictions at the border. Uh, was June fifteenth, June twenty fifth, one of those two days. Mm -hmm. And people have often attributed this to um, contributing to the third wave, just as a strict corollary. But we also relaxed social restrictions on that exact same day. So, I mean, 
if one person manages to like make their way into the country, just teeming with coronavirus, like if the social restrictions are relaxed, then that's going to do a hell of a lot more damage than if we have domestic restrictions in place that we're all abiding. I mean, yeah. don't, I'm not saying we should do away with the border restrictions altogether. I just think that like, a sense of perspective is important that we need to look at the entire situation and all the elements that are better entailed in terms of contact tracing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's a question of how many, many different approaches work together to achieve mm. the result that we're hoping for. And just one of these, only border restrictions or only domestic measures would be much less effective than having a combination of these, these factors. Arguably, the, the third wave came in with two individuals, uh, but then it was really kicked off in, in one bar downtown and one particular gym as well. Uh, and, and like you say, that social measure is pure, pure and simple right there. And then it got out of control. Um, who knows if it could have been held back and stopped at that stage? Probably it could. Yes. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing that uh, this is sort of a little bit of a tangent, but one thing that I think uh, is interesting that I've been sort of wondering is whether a lower incidence rate in Iceland would encourage Icelanders to travel more during the holidays, even though many other countries are considered red or yeah according to iceland's restrictions are considered high risk um because our if, if our incidence late rate drops below 25 then we become green on the mm. uh european sort of list of of yeah COVID safety measures so uh, it's a yeah I, i've just been wondering if icelanders would be more encouraged to travel if they didn't have to face quarantine or or other types of measures upon arriving to other countries, regardless of what the situation is like in other countries and how that could potentially affect Iceland. Of course, we know during the first wave that what brought COVID to Iceland was locals returning from vacations abroad. It feels, I, I, I don't know, it's a good question, but I, my gut feeling on that is people are feeling increasingly safe here and it might make them less likely to travel. Yeah, that's a good argument as well. I don't want to go out and put myself at risk sort of thing. Um, but I suppose everyone's, everyone reacts differently. It's an individual thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, if nothing else, yeah. Yeah, no, carry on. No, I'm just saying if nothing else, it points to the importance of a diversified economy. Yeah, less reliance on tourism, you mean? Yes. Yes, yes. indeed. But then all industries need to a certain extent to, to get people in and out of the country. Um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I think the, the reality is that as long as there is a pandemic, uh, it will affect our economy. I mean, if we're, whether or not we're reliant or, or however much we are reliant on tourism as a single industry, um, I think we can't necessarily expect that if our own measures are, are going to make the single difference between a flourishing economy and and otherwise in a recession because the pandemic is still raging and it's on the rise abroad so that is always going to affect us one way or another absolutely mm. 
let's just hope it all turns into a moot point um, as the vaccine starts to kick in next year and the border testing becomes a non-issue. But that seems like wishful thinking, uh, extremely. Um, okay, let's move on to one more topic before we run completely out of time. Um, there's interest rates, Iceland there, uh, the Supreme Court. Um, yeah, there was the president talking about Icelandic. Yes, that was true as well. So kind of a nice topic to end on, I think, if you agree. Icelandic National Language Day was a week ago. Um, and what did we learn? <laughs> <laughs> that Icelandic uh, is a living, vibrant language that um, changes, and it's changed by the people who speak it. Like any other language. Is, I don't know, it was really delightful to see the president's statement because this is something that um, the top linguists in this country have been arguing for ages. Like Erikud Drukvaldsson, for example, um, mm -hmm. has long been a champion of Icelandic uh, descriptivism. Uh, you know, that it's, um, that it's the rules of Icelandic and the vocabulary are defined by the people who speak it rather than grammar books. And, I think it's fantastic, personally. I mean, the number of Icelandic speakers grows every year. It's a language that is growing and changing and evolving. And I think that that's really important to have in mind that it's a living language. Dead languages don't change. Living languages do. Icelandic is demonstrably changing. So it was really good to hear that from you know, the head of state. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it's so important and so positive when people in positions of power and people who have the attention of a large group of Icelanders make statements like this one and just point out how when we talk about protecting or preserving Icelandic, that's maybe not the vocabulary that we want to use that's most conducive to the language actually flourishing and living and, and having a healthy life. Um, so I think it's really wonderful to hear the president point that out. And of course he has maybe a, a bit more of a personal perspective on that as someone who married an immigrant who learned the language uh, once she was an adult. So he's kind of had that experience as well of, of knowing what it's like maybe from a, from a close perspective to actually learn the language. This is true. Just to play devil's advocate, I wonder if the threat that some people perceive um, to the future of Icelandic is that as it changes and adapts, that means adopting more and more words from, for example, English, and that it can just evolve into a sort of localized pidgin English instead of a unique and very distinctive language like it is today. Is that a risk at all, do you think? <laughs> no, I really don't think so. Um, there's, no, there's no evidence of that happening. Um, <clears throat> Icelandic teenagers do love to toss in a lot of English words or even just straight up speak English with one another, you know, but um, I think that the biggest uh, challenge that the Icelandic language faces is in the tech industry. Like, to have Icelandic more prominent in tech, um, whether it's in, like digital screen menus or voice recognition, that's, that's, the, that's the real challenge right there. I don't see Icelandic evolving into a type of pigeon English, at least not in the next 
century or so. Like, as we pointed out, like the number of aesthetic speakers is, is growing. Mm. Um, and as given how stringently it's it's taught, like a, have either of you been to an Icelandic language class? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What, a few years ago, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a strong emphasis on the grammar and what have you. I think it's it's okay for a few loan words to, to trickle their way in. Um, I mean, English has, has changed dramatically over the centuries. Where it's like, I can't even read old English. I have no idea what it's saying, but it's still undeniably English. And it's, there's also like not no really stopping it. I mean, languages evolve based on their speakers. So, yeah, I think yeah. when we talk about uh, sort of this, this fear of Icelandic disappearing or being, in a sense, corrupted by English, um, I put that in quotation marks, <laughs> mm -hmm. I think, you know, we have to recognize that there isn't, as Andy says, necessarily any evidence that that's happening. Of course, there, there's anecdotal evidence of young people speaking English or using English words when they speak Icelandic, um, but it definitely remains the case that Icelandic, the Icelandic language is the main language used both personally in Iceland, in, in families, in households, but also in the workforce, just out in society in general, in government. And that doesn't seem like something that's going to change in the near future. But I would love to see more research uh, that could actually show what is happening with the language and how it is developing and changing. And for example, how many immigrants speak Icelandic and at what level? Because I think one thing that's lacking right now is actual research and data when it comes to that. So many of these statements that are made are just sort of speculation rather than based on actual evidence. Very good point, yeah. On the technology point, have either of you downloaded Embla? No, not yet. <laughs> I, I did. Um, she's, yeah, she works. Um, most of the answers so far have been, I don't know, um, but that might just be me. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's novel to have Icelandic voice recognition uh, today, but as voice recognition becomes more and more prevalent, which it is doing, it's going to become more important and, and, and hopefully less novel. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, the more, the more, areas of society where we're using Icelandic, the healthier and, and better the language is, is going to be. So it's a great development. Mm. I mean, I remember when Windows was first put into Icelandic, that seemed like <laughs> that was novel as well. And now it's kind of a given. So, and, and the first smartphones didn't have Icelandic on them and now they all do. I think most of them do. Yeah. So. And if you, Bought a lap. I mean, I remember buying a laptop uh, some 15 years ago where the Icelandic letters were um, stickers over top of the keys. Uh, with the, the keyboard itself needed right. to be reprogrammed, you know? Whereas mm -hmm. now, like the computer I use, like, it comes with like, Icelandic style keyboards, like factory mm -hmm. issue. So, yeah, that's pretty nifty.
I hadn't even thought of that. You're right. This one does. Yeah. <laughs> but my personal laptop comes with a Swedish keyboard and it's infuriating because I always <laughs> press the wrong letters. Little lots everywhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, um, that seems like a... Maybe that's the biggest threat to Icelandic, your Swedish keyboard. <laughs> I Gotta look into that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I certainly can't use it very well. Uh, but no, this work keyboard, as you, I hadn't actually noticed properly, it is, yeah, factory issue, Icelandic keyboard, which is great. And, and, and would have been unimaginable just a few years ago. Well, I, I think that's an appropriate juncture to, um, to call it a day. Uh, it's been half an hour already. Time does fly. Um, the Week in Iceland will be back on Monday, the 30th of November on roof.is forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook through the Roof app and your favourite podcast platform. Huge thanks to my guests today, Jelena Ciric and Andy Fontaine. We'll finish today with a song from Ooz. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Maybe Ooze. <laughs> uh, he's a 19-year-old uh, from Sodal Krokus who was in the news this week for being relatively unknown in Iceland at the same time as having about 50 million listeners on Spotify. This is his second most streamed song. Uh, it's the one that started it all. He put it online a couple of years ago and then suddenly found it was racking up millions of listeners. It's called Love Mark. Bye for now. Shark bite marks when you coming back Cause I need
until I'm seeing.